Good morning. Good morning. I am so glad to see each one of you here this morning as we gather on the Lord's Day. Always a blessing for God's people to be together. I'm thankful for your presence. I'm thankful uh, for those that are joining with us uh, online. Pray that uh, uh, the time may come when you can join with us in person and we can share in one another's fellowship here together. Thankful for our visitors that are, are joining us this morning. Glad to have y'all as well. And what a wonderful day it is to serve the Lord. We are going to turn our attention this morning once again to the prophecy of Hosea, particularly Hosea chapter 4, but we're going to look at a number of passages uh, as we go through uh, that book this morning. And remember, just kind of a reminder as we're you know, not always that familiar with the minor prophets. I feel it. Uh, I feel compelled to just give a, a brief reminder of what the book of Hosea is about. Hosea is about how Israel had committed adultery, spiritual adultery, by worshiping other gods. And God, as their God, had the right, as it were, to divorce them. But he wanted, his desire was to restore them to himself because he loved them so much. That is illustrated in the first three chapters. Some are probably familiar with the story of Hosea and marrying a, a, a woman of adultery, marrying uh, Gomer, and how that played out, how she ended up with another man, but then Hosea went to uh, take her again to be his wife. And that illustrates God's uh, love for his people. It illustrates his people's adultery, but also God's love at wanting to be restored to them. That's the illustration beginning in chapter 4 and going through the end of the book. There is a lot more detail given about Israel's sins and about God's plans to, to punish them for their sins if they did not repent, but also continuing God's love for them and his plan to restore them uh, when they did repent. One of the indictments that comes out against the nation of Israel, and by the way, we're talking primarily about the, the, the northern kingdom, uh, after, you know, after the period of, after Solomon's reign, the kingdom was divided. Ten tribes went with Jeroboam. They became the northern kingdom of Israel. Two tribes remained with Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and they became the kingdom of Judah. And descendants of Solomon and David, his father, reigned in Judah for the rest of its history, but not so in the northern kingdom. There, that's a whole drama um, probably worthy of, you know, like TV or something like that, but go and read First and Second Kings and uh, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But we're dealing primarily with the northern kingdom and their spiritual adultery. Doesn't mean that Judah, the southern kingdom, didn't have their problems as well. And some of the prophets talked to Judah, but Hosea is talking mainly to Israel. And one of the indictments that he brings against them over and over again throughout his prophecy, is the charge that they did not know God. Right? If you go back to Hosea chapter 2, uh, if you're open to Hosea chapter 4, you may, it may be the same opening or a page or two back. 
Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, listen to what God says uh, of them. He says, and I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make them, make you lie down in safety, and I will make you, or rather, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Of course, the implication there, verse 20 is that they previously rejected knowing the Lord, but they would know him again. Their rejection of that of the knowledge of God is demonstrated in the next passage, Hosea chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 3. It says, I know Ephraim. Ephraim is a, an alternate name for Israel. Ephraim was one of the ten tribes. It was maybe the largest of the ten tribes that went with the, north, with the northern kingdom. So Ephraim and Israel, kind of interchangeable in this context, right? I know Ephraim, he says in verse 3, and Israel, same, same entity, Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you've played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. God's saying, you've been acting like harlots, with these other gods. You do not know me. Do not know the Lord. Of course they would have protested. In fact Hosea chapter 8 and verse 2. They seem to do, do so. He says to me they cry my God. We Israel know you. But the context surrounding that verse. Suggests exactly the opposite. Of what they claim. They did not know their God. And then one more over in Hosea chapter 13. Beginning in verse 4, it says, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. Beside me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But they, when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their, deceit, and their heart rather was lifted up. Therefore, he says in verse, verse 6, they forgot me. They had known God. But they had forgotten him. And then that brings us to the passage that we want to spend some time with this morning. Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, is we're going to focus on particularly verses 1 and 2, and then verse 6 for our lesson this morning. And think about some things we can draw out of this passage about what a lack of knowledge produces in one's life, what, what a lack of knowledge will bring about in our lives if we refuse to know God. Three things we want to notice this morning. Number one, that a lack of knowledge produces transgression. A lack of knowledge produces transgression. Let's back up just a little bit for a moment and, and, and ask the question, what do we mean by knowledge? Okay, it's not just knowing about God. There are a lot of people who know about God, but they don't know God. What Hosea is talking about is knowing God. One writer put it, it's an experiential knowledge based on faithfulness to God 
and to his word. Or another writer said it, it, that, that knowledge of God sums up the whole theme of covenant revelation of who God is, what he has done for his people in redemption, and what he requires of them. So to, just to summarize that, knowledge of God is knowing who he is, knowing what he's done for you, and knowing what he requires of you. But not just knowing it, not just knowing it intellectually, not just being aware of the facts, but doing it. Living your life based on that knowledge. And that's what Israel had rejected. They knew about God, right? They, they knew who Jehovah, Yahweh, was. They knew how he had brought them out of Egypt, given them a land to possess. They knew what he required, what he expected. They knew what the law said, but they weren't living it. And that's why they were being rebuked. That's why they were being rebuked by God. Because they had rejected knowledge, they had fallen into transgression. Look at Hosea 4, verse 1 and 2. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. So there's, there's the problem. Now there are multiple problems there, right? No faithfulness, no steadfast love. But we're focusing on there is no knowledge of God in the land. Here's what there is. Verse 2, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because they had rejected knowledge, they had fallen into transgression. And we get a listing of some of their transgressions. I don't think these are all of their transgressions. But we get a representative list, and I think this is intentional, the things that are listed, and I hope you'll see why as we go through. They were lying. But if you go back to Exodus 20, that list of ten commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness, Exodus 20 and verse 16. That's the ninth commandment on that list. There's murder. Commandment number six. Exodus 20 and verse 13. They're stealing, which violates commandment number 8. Exodus 20 and verse 15. And then there's adultery. Uh, of course, we, you know, we've been going, going through this book. There's the spiritual adultery, which we'll talk about more in just a moment. But I think it also means there is actual, you know, literal adultery. People not being faithful to their marriages. Of course, that's a breaking of commandment number seven, Exodus 20 and verse 14. What's interesting is he also mentions swearing. That's actually the very first one on that list. And, and, and I'm going to present, uh, this is uh, maybe an opinion, but I think it's an informed opinion, that that is a violation of the third commandment, which is Exodus 20 and verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Brothers and sisters, understand this this morning, that the third commandment, it's not just about whether or not you say, oh my God, or oh Lord, as an exclamation. Certainly that would be included, using the name of God in such a flippant way. But it takes, it's so much more than that. 
understand that the swearing of an oath was not against God's law in the Old Covenant. God allowed the swearing of oaths, and as you go through your Old Testament, you see oftentimes the swearing of oaths and often God's name being invoked in the swearing of those oaths. You might find the, the, the line, as the Lord lives, or as surely as the Lord lives. Well, that's kind of a, an oath formula, if you will. That, that indicates that that person is swearing that whatever they're saying next, they're going to hold to. Uh, it may Something may come up like, let the Lord be a witness between you and I. That's invoking the name of God as part of, of that covenant, of that compact, of that oath that they swear to one another. But if you swear such an oath and then fail to keep it, that person would be guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain of using the Lord's name, saying that I, I'm swearing by, by the Lord and then not doing it, that was a serious offense indeed. So they were violating the third commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain. And then, we've already established they had been guilty of that spiritual adultery of serving false gods, of worshiping idols, there's commandments one and two. And I would, I would argue that you could probably go through there, and even though they're not mentioned, you could probably make a case for the other of the Ten Commandments that aren't listed, that aren't referenced there, but we're not going to do that this morning. Let's just take the seven that we have, right? Lying, murder, stealing, adultery, taking God's name in vain, Worshipping other gods, worshipping idols, seven of the ten. Now where I come from, if you missed seven out of ten questions on a test, you failed. <laughs> and I think that's probably true in, in most cases, right? And, and you may even get a note from the teacher, see me after class. Well, we might say that's exactly what God is doing through the prophet Hosea. He's saying to Israel... Or he, he, this, this is his, you know, see me after class, we need to talk. And in talking to them, he's letting them know he expects better. They can do better, they should do better, but because they had rejected knowledge, they did not do better. They had rejected to living by God's commands and God was not pleased. And he has some very strong words for them. As we skip down to verse 6 in this passage, he says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. A lack of knowledge produces transgression. But a lack of knowledge also produces Rejection. I know we're skipping over part of that verse. We'll come back to that at the end. He says in verse six, or the middle, middle part of verse 6, Because you have rejected knowledge, I have rejected you from being a priest to me. Now, now that word priest, you might wonder how, how is that word to be understood? Because there's a couple of different ways it could be taken. Probably the most natural way to read it is that he's talking to literal priests. 
Uh, those who were set in a position, obviously they had responsibilities regarding worship and sacrifices and things like that, but they also had the responsibility for imparting knowledge of God to the people. And that's what they've been failing to do for a long time, especially the priests in the northern kingdom. They've been failing to communicate God's responsibilities to them for quite some time. So he could be talking to literal priests. Maybe he is talking to literal priests, but maybe also it's, it's more of a general statement to the nation as a whole. Because if you go back to Exodus 19 and verse 6, he tells Israel that they were to be a kingdom of priests. He's saying this to the whole nation. You are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Coincidentally, Peter says the same thing to the church in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto God. So maybe he's talking to the nation as a whole, using that metaphorical sense of the word priest, talking to them. In either case, the point is they had rejected knowledge of God. And so he says... I'm rejecting you. They were being removed from their privileged position. If you go back to chapter 1, there, that narrative of Hosea's marriage to Gomer and the children that were born. You know, there were three children. There was Jezreel, uh, whose name means God will scatter. There was another, a daughter, whose name means no mercy. And then the third child born was a son, and his name meant not my people. And it was a warning. It was a warning of, of what was coming because they had rejected their God. They had committed adultery with these false gods and gone after these, these false deities and not worshipped properly, not respected properly the God of heaven. And so he's telling them, you are not my people which is, of course, a direct reversal of the promise he had made to them in Exodus 6 and verse 7, where he said, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. But because they had rejected God, he said, you're not my people anymore. Now, there is promises throughout the book of, of restoration to that position, but for a period of time, he was going to treat them like they were not his people because they had rejected knowledge. And again, there's no doubt many of them would have protested. God, we, we, we know you. We, we haven't completely rejected you. We, we've continued to, to, to keep certain, you know, we've continued to, to, to go to worship. We've continued to offer the sacrifices. We've continued to do all of these things that you commanded us to do. We know you, God. Go back to Hosea 8 and verse 2. Israel says, I know you. God says, no, you don't. Because just keeping the ritual wasn't enough. Just going through the motions wasn't enough. He says in Hosea 6 and verse 6, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That's not to say that God didn't want their sacrifices and offerings. He had commanded them. He wanted them to do those things. But not without Steadfast love, not without mercy, not without knowledge. 
Without those things, they're just empty rituals. They don't have true knowledge of God. And God rejects that. God rejects empty ritual. God rejects doing things because it's routine. God rejects doing things because simply because it's what's expected. God wants more than just the ritual. God wants more than just going through the motions. It reminds me of, of over in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, they're speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you remember when he says in verse 21 that not everyone... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They may have looked like followers of Jesus on the outside, but they didn't really know him. And I wonder, I wonder if on that day, there might be some who say, Lord, didn't we go to church every Sunday? Weren't we there every time the doors were open? Didn't we sing the songs? Didn't we partake of the communion? Didn't we give of our means? And some might still hear, I never knew you. Now again, don't get me wrong. Doing all of those things is right. We should gather with the saints on the first day of the week. We should do all of the things that we do in worship together. But doing those things and knowing Jesus are completely different things. There are going to be many who think that they know Him on that day. Who think that they've done many righteous things in His name and He's going to say, I don't know you. I don't want to hear those words. You don't want to hear those words. Don't be rejected by Him because you rejected knowledge of Him. Don't be rejected by Him because you didn't really seek to know Him but just went through the motions each and every week. Have true knowledge of Him. Because there's one more thing, at least as far as our study this morning concerns, one more thing that a lack of knowledge produces, and that's destruction. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. In the very literal sense, Israel was facing destruction because they had rejected knowledge of God the, that, that really goes back as far as the beginning of the divided kingdom. When Jeroboam became king, 1 Kings 10, 12 and, and down in verse 25, even at that very, very early stage, he started to draw the people of the northern kingdom away from the true God. And it really never got any better. It kept getting worse, actually, 
until shortly after Hosea's prophecy, within a few decades at most, Israel's conquered by Assyria and taken captive. Which you can read about in 2 Kings 17, 6-23, if you want to take the time to do that. But because they had rejected God, they faced destruction at the hands of their enemies. But for the one who doesn't know God under the new covenant, go over to 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 5-10, through 10, and this is a passage that some of you will know that uh, I, I both love and don't love. I love it because of the comfort it gives to the faithful child of God, but it, it hurts to read, particularly verses 8 and 9. Think of anybody suffering what God mentions in this passage. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5 it says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at, to be marveled at among those who have believed. Because our testimony to you was believed. I take comfort knowing that there's relief coming for the child of God. But I don't wish verse 9 on anybody. To be separated from God and the glory of His might for eternity. Don't be among those who suffer that fate. Don't be among those who don't know God and are put into that terrible position. Know God. Know what He has done for you. Know what He requires of you. And then live by that knowledge. Maybe there's someone here this morning that doesn't yet know God. Maybe there's someone here this morning that doesn't yet know what He's done. If we can study with you, and be thrilled to be able to do that together. Or maybe you're already, maybe you're ready to give your life to Him. You can do that this morning. Or maybe if you are a, a child of God, maybe you haven't lived according to knowledge. Maybe you've in some ways rejected what He requires of you. Then take the opportunity this morning to confess and repent of that sin. We'd be happy to pray for you. We'd be happy to pray with you support you in any way that we can. The invitation is yours to accept if you have the need this morning. Will you come while we stand and we sing this song together?